Hi, welcome to Fed Talks. I'm your host, EJ Fed Talks. This is this is the new format we're doing here. I'm very excited. What we're doing is I'm talking about short-lived TV shows with the people who love them. Uh, I should probably come up with a better title, but this is all in this is all in its beta phase right now. Uh, so my first my first guest. I'm going to tell you the guest before the TV show because this is important. One of my my dearest and longest serving friends. Like, like 20 years this dude's been on the job. Uh, he is a musician. <laughs> he is a, a improviser. He's a raconteur. Uh, he is a, he is the, the producer slash voice talent slash uh, guy who comes up with better jokes than I wrote on the perpetually upcoming A Town Called Science. And he wrote a kick-ass theme song that I'm excited for people to hear. But look, that's a different project. We'll talk about that. This is this is Mr. Sam Kenny. I'm Sam Kenny. And I did those things, except for Emma. Emma mostly wrote that theme song and it does kick ass. I agree. You guys did a good job. Oh, well, and she you. is she will also be voice. She is, is, in fact, the lead character. She's going to kill it. Yeah, I'm excited. People who listen to the show are familiar with you because you come up frequently. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, you know, always in a context that is either good or weird. No, oh, good. And weird. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got a pet pig. That's that's it's going to be talked about. Yeah. Ho- hopefully she's uh, going to remain calm in the next room. <laughs> she's being brushed gently by Emma and <laughs> reclining on the beanbag chair. The, the number of times I've picked up dog noises, I think it'll be an exciting change for people to get pig noises. <laughs> she makes really, really funny noises. It's good. She almost wants to talk. You can hear her mouth trying to form syllables. You're just buying into that propaganda the spider put in the put on the ceiling. It's some pig, like it's true though. <laughs> and that was just an ordinary gray spider. <laughs> it wasn't the spider that was interesting. Clearly. <laughs> okay. Oh. Uh so the show we're going to talk about and, and and the idea here is I want to want to cover one or two season TV shows that ended frankly too soon and we are covering Maybe my favorite one-season TV show. It's a little something from HBO. Uh, it premiered in 2007. John from Cincinnati. Yeah! Uh, woo! <laughs> Just in the... And, and, and we will dig into it, but uh, it is... It was David Milch's follow-up to Deadwood. Pretty much the same. It, very, very similar, <laughs> which people were very excited about. And then what he did was a abstract drama about a family of surfers and a young man who uh we don't know what he is but he he's definitely not human he looks like a guy but holy smokes it's it's very difficult to explain concisely so we're gonna we're gonna just talk about this great and weird show uh and first what i want sam to tell me is what what was your experience the first time with this show did you watch it in its original airing or did you discover this later i already know the answer because i've known <laughs> you for 20 years and we watched it together but at some point i will have a guest i haven't known since since uh you know since 2000 i almost said something bad since 2002 uh and i want to practice for what that's like yeah you could practice on me i was, I was born to be beta tested <laughs> uh i'm told by you that i watched it as it aired <laughs> i think that i watched it as it aired and I really, really liked it as it was airing, and I thought it was just bizarre. And Ed O'Neill was 
immediately uh, awesome and butchy. Yeah, all the all the acting is is first rate, except for you know Surfer Kid. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about. I've did a little. I've I've done some research. So I did a little research on him too. He didn't do a lot of acting after the show. <laughs> Some could say he didn't do a lot of acting during the show. Yeah, I think they, yep. Yeah, I think they wrote, a, they tried to write around that a bit. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, we actually watched it. Uh, this was back when I had a DVD recorder and I would record all the HBO dramas onto DV, DVD R's and bring them to your house and we would watch them. We'd fire up the DVD player, which ran on coal and, uh, <laughs> We'd watch the burned DVD R's that always played perfectly. Great quality. Uh, sometimes I'd forget to finalize them and they'd be unplayable until I brought them home and ran them again. Uh, I know you get to the point where you can, you can look at them in the light and tell if they've been finalized. <laughs> For real, you, know, like you look at it with like, oh, it, it's reflecting wrong. I, got, I forgot to finalize this one. So we can't, can't listen to it. Can't watch it. God, the number of... of of finalized DVD R's that are still hanging around my house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like when they stopped releasing King of the Hill on DVD and I'm like, well, I have to have all of King of the Hill and nobody knew streaming was happening, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got so much things taking up space and we feel so bad to throw them away because of all the, <laughs> all the love and care it took to be ready. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a process. Uh, but yeah, we, we watched it together. Uh, it is notable the first episode aired immediately after the Sopranos finale, which uh, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap up with some talk of uh, maybe why it didn't last more than one season. But a lot of it falls on that, I think. But uh, let's talk about this weird ass show. Uh, I guess, you know what, let's and this is obviously not going to be uh, a point by point explanation of the series, which would make no sense. <laughs> no, can't do that. And uh <laughs> like, I'm going to give you a spoiler warning. We're not going to be buttholes about it, but it did air 15 years ago. That said, anything we spoil <laughs> is still not necessarily going to make sense, and it will still surprise you when you see it happen. Yeah, there's not really like, it's not like a murder mystery or something. Like, it's just, it'll just be a description of something that makes no sense. And then when you <laughs> see it, you'll be like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. But I like that I'm watching it. Yeah, it was great. I, I wanted to reach and make it make sense in my mind. And sometimes I could. The very first scene really kind of throws you into what this show is going to be, where there is uh, Bruce Greenwood as Mitch Yost is, is surfing. And two people are watching him. One is Luke Perry, uh, who looks a little sinister. And one is a kind of blank-faced young man in, clad entirely in white who only can say a few phrases. One of which is Mitch Yost needs to get back in the game. And then when Mitch is done surfing, he, you know, he cleans himself up to get in his car and he starts floating about a foot off the ground. Yeah. I, when I rewatched it, I didn't realize how fast they started with the, with the craziness. I was like, oh, they right out of the gate. There's John. There he's floating. Here we go. <laughs> and then boom, opening credits. Yeah. They, they came out running. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, specifically Ed O'Neill. The cast on this thing is... It's kind of ridiculous that this was, you know, I think it's a lot more commonplace now that HBO shows get really kind of stacked casts. Yeah. But yeah, Bruce Greenwood, you had Rebecca De Mornay as Sissy Yost. Louis Guzman. Yes. I kind of forgot he was in it. 
that guy slides into anything just right. Like he can be really funny. He can be serious. And like, he's, he's one of the most natural people in this show. He's so natural. Yeah. He's one of those guys. You, David Bilch has such a specific dialogue style and, you know, probably people are more familiar with it from Deadwood, which was a, a more popular show, but it's sort of these loopy sentences that, that, wrap around themselves and words aren't always used the way you expect them to be used. And some actors really kind of like make a meal of that. And Louise Guzman just, he handles it the way he would do a guest spot on community. And it's great. Yeah. He's, he really came off like he was thinking up those crazy lines. (laughs) Yeah. And and his character though, is kind of like an observer of most of this. Like he wasn't really that. And he was mostly cooking food for everybody as all this nonsense <laughs> happens to them. <laughs> He's like, well, that, that seems crazy. They're probably gonna be hungry from coming back from the dead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the standout, I think who you mentioned before is Ed O'Neill. And this was kind of, he hadn't really done much when this, I mean, he worked forever, but he hadn't done much since like he had married with children. I think he had a, like a, a Dragnet reboot that didn't last long. Yep, and he was in the movie Blue Chips with Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, and then there's that one, um, Dutch, which was underrated. Dutch. I love Dutch. That was, was that, that was contemporaneous with uh, Married with Children, right? Yes, I believe okay. so. I mean, that show ran like 15 years. Every, everything was contemporaneous with, with Married with Children. It, it ran from uh, like 87 to 2000 something. Yeah, I think it just got canceled a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> they realized he and Katie Seagal hadn't been there for a while. <laughs> um, very shortly after this, he went on to, to Modern Family, where he was obviously incredibly successful and won Emmys and probably made the money he deserved to have been making his entire career. But y- you watch this, and it's kind of, you, I wish he'd had more of a character actor career rather than just settling into that one role. Yeah, he could have, man... Cause this is such a weird character and it's so cool. And he's like almost helpless, but then also he's really tough and you're scared of him. It's really, it's something else. And he's sometimes, uh, uh, neurotic and angry at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like when he, when he drives, it's, that's the most complicated thing I've ever seen an actor do. He is terrified. And also he is mad at everybody. It's just the, the weirdest road rage, road anxiety all at once. It's just the, he should never really be behind the wheel, that character. He, he also, for, for context of what this show is, has many birds that he talks to and is afraid to go up the stairs in his house. Yeah, his wife was lived up there, right? Or her deathbed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, she died up there. And there's one scene where he has to sit at the top of the stairs just to be out of sight. And it's like, oh, my God, he's breaking my heart. Um, yeah, when when he would get vulnerable like that, it was just, man, you just start crying immediately. Yeah, and the way he was with the kid, too, like, he'd just immediately be, like, super gentle and nice and cheerful for the kid, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, he didn't want him to see anything bad. Yeah. The, and I, this is a nice transition to talking into, to, to talking into. I'm good at hosting. Uh, <laughs> I, yes, you are. Talking about our, our, our titular John, but uh, one thing I loved about Ed O'Neill, too, is how openly irritated he was with John. And he's like he figured out the premise of the show and was just irritated that he had to go through it. Yeah, I have. Like as soon as somebody would speak something in John's uh, like would phrase something wrong in front of John, it'd be like, oh, 
Jesus Christ, now he's just going to start saying this. Yeah, you know, now you know what he's going to say. Like when he's, uh, when they're, uh, we're in their spy, they're spying in the van. <laughs> Is that the guy who stabbed you? Yes or no? You know, he's just going to repeat you. <laughs> that was so funny with uh, the hippie guy, uh, Jim, Vietnam Joe. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Beaver. God. You know what he's going to say now. He's just going <laughs> to repeat you. <laughs> yeah. He figured it out, and he he was just irritated with it. He accepted that the guy was magic and probably, you know, heavenly, but he didn't care because he was so annoying to him. <laughs> he wasn't a huge fan of the show he was in before John entered their lives, and he was not <laughs> at all happy with what the show became once John showed up. No, no. So, uh, uh, John, who's... Name we later find out is John Monad. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, he's, yeah, he dresses entirely in white. He speaks mostly in phrases that he heard from other people and repeats and remixes. Uh, he doesn't seem to have biological functions. No, he does. He doesn't dump out. No, he fakes it, though. As he says. I forgot how funny the scene is where he's faking it. He's trying to reproduce the noises with his mouth that he hears in the next stall. Yeah, hoop. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, he's like, this is what I'm supposed to do in here, I guess. And and bizarrely, anytime somebody asks him for something, he has that in his pocket. A specific sum of money, a cell phone, a credit card. Uh, and they eventually figure out that happens, and then they stop asking him for things as if they're afraid of this power. Yeah, Butchie, Butchie, it's so funny. Here, here and there, Butchie will sort of describe John to people, and you're like, oh, Butchie's sort of really gathering a lot about John while not seeming to. Like, usually just hang out with John, and they're trying to accomplish something. But then Butchie will say, like, he's always got something in his pocket, this and that. It's like, wow, you're really paying attention, Butchie. I thought <laughs> you were just sort of, you know, getting caught up in your family drama. <laughs> he even very early on tries to reset him. Because one of the phrases John comes in, like, like there's only a few phrases he knows on his own when it starts. And one of them is some things I know and some things I don't. Yeah. And Butchie tells him almost immediately, would you want to say that you just want to say, you, you just say, I don't know Butchie instead. And so he always, when he doesn't know the answer, says, I don't know Butchie instead. Always just like uh, say goodnight, Gracie type joke. <laughs> And they just go with it. They're like, all right, just, just leave it. It's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> I was going to say, like, John from Cincinnati. It's like JC, supposed to sort of be a Jesus character. And like, but it's kind of insulting to Jesus, you know. <laughs> He's a bit of a simpleton. <laughs> He's almost mindless, but also yes. omniscient at the same time. And, uh, also with his frequent references to his father, that also kind of leads into the Christ figure idea, because... He's got a mysterious dad who knows a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The words of my father, they get all caught up in the words of my father thing at the end. It's like, this is getting really confusing. I like how Luke Perry near the end is just trying to figure out the riddle of like, try, he sits down with John. It's like, so if I listen to your words, I can hear the words of your father in your words. You know, it's like he's really trying and he doesn't really get anywhere, but he tried. He was sort of he was sort of like the audience at that point. It's like, here you go. Here's somebody who's going to try to ask him what he means. Couldn't really do it. You know, Luke Perry was so much more sympathetic uh, watching it this time than he had been in the past for me. And I think maybe I really fell into sort of the interpretation that it that John is a Christ figure. Yeah. 
And then since he's introduced in in contrast to to Link, then you sort of oh, so that makes him the devil. And he's a dirtbag, but he's he's not as bad as everybody else who works for his surfwear company. No, they're they're even worse than him. And he tries to redeem himself at the end. He's trying he's trying to try, you know? Yes. <laughs> but I, I remembered him being more sinister, and I was I was pleasantly surprised that like you said, he's the one trying to figure out what the show is. <laughs> yeah, he's he's us. He's kind of us. He's kind of a dickhead, but not he's not too bad. We no, don't see him. I, there's worse. No, it seems like he used to be, he used to be a bigger dickhead. <laughs> that everyone <laughs> everyone already hates him. He comes in to the show, everyone already hating him. Yeah, there, there's a lot of bad feelings. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sissy Yost, Rebecca De Mornay, she's anytime you mention him or anything at first, but then, yeah, she can't stand him. But then she's the one that helps sign Sean Yost with Link. This, yep. That is Sissy Yost, but that is an absolutely wild Rebecca De Mornay performance. Yeah, at first I thought like she like in the first couple episodes you're like man she's overcooking this, but then as you settle in to how intense she always is, you're like okay, nope, I just wasn't used to that over the top <laughs> interface, but that's just how she is. She's that she's that intense all the time. And it, it's such a contrast to uh, to to Mitch, who even kind of takes floating in stride. He's not thrilled about it, but <laughs> yeah, he's such man. I know, you know, at first, you just hate Sissy Yost so much because of how intense and mean she is. But then, as you watch the show, you hate Mitch Yost more because he's <laughs> he's so full of shit, and he's so I'm gonna go make a poultice, and and <laughs> you know he almost seems like you know what maybe I have earned this flying thing. You know I meditate a lot, so maybe I can fly now. You know like this he doesn't quite say that, but that's kind of the vibe you get from him. And he just, I don't know, he's just such a butthole. And then he's like, he's cheating on his wife and stuff. And you're like, this guy, I see why she's mad all the time. And she always wants to wreck his little, his little yoga fort that he's got. She always has smoke in there. He's like, please don't smoke in here. She's always smoking in there. (laughs) She's wrecking up the place. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Butchie yet, who is the only person who could come from those parents. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just want to loop back to John real quick, because one thing I... There's a lot more subtlety in his performance than I think comes through originally because he is so he's so blank for most of it. But there are times when people have questions for him and he literally doesn't know the words to answer them because he hasn't heard those phrases. Yeah, but he makes a face and he's like looks around. He's like, hmm. Mm. Yeah, he's he he's straight and he he seems like he doesn't want to be this guy like he. I think he'd like to come clean with everybody and explain what his father's words are and and uh, uh, what he actually means when he says Sean will soon be gone, which sounds like a terrible threat when you post it on the Internet with a weird graphic. <laughs> yeah, that sounds bad. Butchie, uh, who is uh, played by Brian Van Holt, who does mostly comedy now, uh, like right after this, he was on Cougar Town for like five years. <laughs> I didn't know that <laughs> where he he plays the comedy like he's got lovable, funny dirtbag down. But uh, Butchie is also a and I cannot put thick enough air quotes around recovering heroin addict. And uh, like his hotel room is one of the grossest sets I've ever seen on a TV show. 
Yeah, it's still just you can just smell it in there, and it's everything sticky. Doesn't he tell? Who does he tell? Like, yeah, the cleaning lady's on vacation or something <laughs> like that. It's like he's been on vacation for a hundred years. <laughs> it's just the grossest. You don't want to be in. If you find yourself in there, you're gonna to want to take a shower when you get out of there. Oh, it's it, it's oh, it's yeah. You smell it through the TV. It's but yeah, like you said, he's really he's. He's surprisingly generous with John and uh, even when he seems to be making weird threats and he's he's uh, <laughs> he he rolls with a lot of the uh, when John talks about boning a lot, for example, that's just fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's 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 basically teaching him ways to make it worse, like a boner and breaker jaw. That's a good phrase to teach your friend who only repeats things he's heard. Yeah, and he's gonna he's trying to hook him up with his friend. <laughs> his friend Kai is who also takes John's repeated uh declarations that they're boning in in very good humor. She's great. She is a good friend for for John. Like she's she's probably got the smoothest interaction with him. She she lets him hold her hold her hands and stuff and she she knows when he's just repeating something and she doesn't take anything personally. Yeah, she's She's another uh, uh, one who really did not act much. She, uh, like Grayson Fletcher, who plays Sean, is a surfer. But I feel like, yeah, no, I buy her as an actress. She was great. She was supernatural. Or su- she was supernatural. No, she was very Ooh. natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah, compared to Grayson, especially. Holy smokes. <laughs> you do, I think they wrote around, gra- the, uh, I don't, you know, I'm, he wasn't trying to be an actor. You know, I'm not going to. <laughs> diss him too hard but i feel like after uh john milch or whoever saw like what they were dealing with with him i think in the first episode they made, they realized he wasn't gonna show any emotions period like he's just right. not going to ever and so they have uh mitch yost and sissy yost talking about him he's they're like yeah you know if sean yost is feeling something you're never you're never gonna hear about it you know he <laughs> plays it pretty co- close to the vest <laughs> it's like we it was so close to the vest that they had to mention it in the first episode to prepare you for when you saw this kid try to say lines. <laughs> now, and it's reluctant. I mean, he was 14. This is the only acting on his IMDb after. I mean, he was a professional surfer. He did a surf documentary after this. Yeah. So he's just an athlete that they stuck in there. But, you know, they it's tricky because he's kind of like the focal point of the show. It's, so. But it was fine. They, they did. I think they successfully wrote around him and it was good. Let, let me pitch this to you because I, I've been thinking a lot about it. And uh, uh, a while ago, I did an, an episode where I talked Star Wars with my friend Summer, who watched all of the Star Wars for the first time as an adult. Yeah. Which, if you want an interesting perspective on Star Wars, talk to somebody who watched all 11 movies as an adult for the first time. That, yeah, that's, I can't even imagine what that would be like. That's... <laughs> That that was that was amazing. But one thing she we were talking about Natalie Portman and how she's a little overqualified for what they're asking her to do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I it, it's one of the only things that's ever happened on the show that people have quoted back to me online was uh, she said of I think uh, uh, the, uh, the Revenge of the Sith. If she's a worse actress, is this a better movie? And <laughs> kind of yeah. And so I'm thinking about this. If Sean is a better actor, is it a better show? And I don't think it is. No, be- I yeah, think- I, I agree with you because it, 
however it played out, whether they did it on purpose or not, his role probably was small enough that all the other people around him got to really take the space and it was, and it worked really well. And, and so much of it is his family projecting their own shortcomings. I guess not projecting their shortcomings, but uh, dealing with how they failed Butchie by projecting onto him. Yeah. And he's just some kid who wants to surf, you know, he's, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have much going on. He, him as a blank slate works works really well i think like if this had been some if the, i can't think of who who would have been 14 at the time this was done but if it had been a a young joseph gordon levitt or something because they had similar hair it would be <laughs> i i don't think it works as well i think no. you got to let ed o'neill have that space yeah giving him the space is it was it was definitely a uh, an advantage but it's so hard to say because if you had someone who would act a lot, you'd probably write the whole thing a lot different. That's true. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe you wouldn't. Maybe they did it all on purpose. I'm not sure. Hard to say with, with that. But I, how it rolled out is perfect because the side, all the other characters really needed all the space. You wouldn't want to cut any of their space. Right. There's a lot of, uh, man, we should hit some of the secondaries because there are a lot of great actors in there like uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Yeah, is Dr. Smith. He was like, he reacts to these miracles the way you'd hope that you would, you know, like he's <laughs> sort of the best of He's like, he quits his job and he just like tries to focus on what this is and tries to absorb it as well as he can and help it out. You know, like he's so like noble with it. He recognizes it. So all the way. So uh, completely. Yeah. And he's, there's a few characters who seem to just genuinely have a pure heart and he is one of them. Like he, he really wants to, he's trying to help these idiots. Yeah. Even when he's dealing with, uh, Freddie and, uh, Palaka, <laughs> he's still like really nice to them, even though they're kind of like insulting him and seem like kind of dangerous to him. <laughs> he's just like, you should probably get an X, get that x-ray and I'll take you down myself. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a good chance Freddie will hit you. Yeah. He hits, he hits every, he hits a lot of people. He never hits uh, Ed O'Neill though. <laughs> oh, Freddie and Palaka are, are real interesting. Uh, that's they are a couple of, of gangsters who show up and then they end up just hanging around. And by episode four, they're they're helping clean the pool. I know. Make yourself useful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, their their casting is real interesting because Freddie Lopez is uh, Dayton Callie, who was Charlie Utter on Deadwood. Charlie Utter, who was such one of the one of the best and. Palaka is uh, Paul Ben Victor, who was on The Wire for a bunch of years. And he's been doing he, he's been doing similar characters like, you know, the uh, Italian lower on the rung mafia type guy like forever. Like you see you, as soon as you see him, you're like, oh, I've seen this guy a hundred times. Yeah, but usually he plays it kind of stoic like he did in The Wire. Yeah, this was yeah, I mean, this was kind of more of a sillier, <laughs> yeah, sillier he, run for him. I think you said you said when we talked about it earlier was he never stops moving and he's always like, I don't think he moves six times in four seasons of the wire. And in this, he's always like, he's, he's got a broken wrist that he's holding together with duct tape for a portion of the show. And, uh, it's, it's a very kinetic performance. It's not like he's bouncing off the walls, but he's always, he's, I don't know. There's this energy to him where, where it's, it makes you a little nervous. It makes you nervous and it makes you very aware of that wrist and you 
just wish he'd go get it set and put in a cast for like most of the show. You're just like, gosh, man, that tape isn't doing the trick. I can tell that you're sweating and it's terrible and it's healing wrong. I can feel it. <laughs> so uh, him and the, uh, the people who carried over from Deadwood and some of these people I had to look up because a lot of the cast feels like they should have been on Deadwood and they weren't. Yeah. Like, like, uh, 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 Dwayne, the, the hair lip, like he had to have been on Deadwood. No, he wasn't. He's just got a Deadwood ass face. He does. And his girlfriend was on Deadwood or whatever she was to him. I'm not totally sure. I think they were married or I don't know. Her, her relationship (laughs) to her was very similar to her relationship with Saul, where she's mostly just angry, but (laughs) seems to also protect them from other people. Yeah, other than Paula Malcolmson, who was uh, Trixie on Deadwood, and she plays a very similar character here, because honestly, you get her on there, you just want to see her being mean to men. <laughs> it's satisfying. <laughs> All of the others kind of played a, like the, the reverse of their Deadwood characters. Like uh, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, Garrett Dillahunt, was kind of famously two characters on Deadwood. He was Jack McCall in season one. yeah. And then he was the guy who killed all the prostitutes and cut his own throat in season two. Yeah, he was like a, a dumb psycho and then a really smart psychopath and, <laughs> on Deadwood. And here right. he's just like, he's still really, he's really smart, but he's like almost a saint. Yes, he's a sweet, empathetic man. And, uh, uh, you know, Charlie Utter was, was the sweetest and most easily befuddled man in Deadwood. And, you know... Freddie feels like he's going to hit everybody all the time. <laughs> yeah. Though when Charlie Utter got mad, he was kind of scary. He, who did he, he was kicking the, through the streets of Deadwood. Who is, was it a, it wasn't, oh no, it was, it was, it was Dillahunt. He was, when yeah. he was a psycho, he was just beating him up and kicking him across the street. That's right. And you're like, oh, Charlie Utter's kind of scary when he wants to be like, he, you can't really beat him up. And, uh, uh, and uh, Jim Beaver is Vietnam Joe. He was Ellsworth, who was a ver- another, the least, the, the character in Deadwood with the least edge. And here he's kind of this traumatized veteran uh, who, who sort of, he feels like he's capable of great violence. Like he's yeah. barely holding it together. Yeah, he's holding it together. But he's something like with that guy's face that you just, you like him no matter what. Like he, he can't really do enough to <laughs> make you not like him. He's just so relatable. Yeah, like he shows up on Better Call Saul as a weapons dealer, and it's like, ah, I, I still want to go. Let's, let's go. Let's go to the batting cages. Come on, you know. <laughs> it's my friend, the nice man. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's there's probably too many characters to cover. There's a we want people to watch the show. Yeah, uh, but some maybe some weird aspects that I, I was thinking of. Uh, David Milch has a really has has a a very particular sense of humor. Uh, like Deadwood's very funny and this is very funny, but sometimes this is funny in a dumb way that does not seem like him. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the joke in the first episode that made me laugh out loud. And like, I sort of blurred out and go idiot. Like <laughs> you wrote that line when, uh, 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 sissy gets arrested for causing a disturbance at a grocery store. And, the, the clerk who calls the cops on her, partly because she refuses his advances. There's a lot going on. Yeah. 
when she calls him a liar, he says something along the lines of, I couldn't possibly lie. I'm diabetic. I'm diabetic. I know. It sounds like some <laughs> hokey. <laughs> it's such a corny line. <laughs> I'm diabetic. <laughs> what? It was almost like a sitcom line or something. It was really, yeah. It's, it's such a funny, and it's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the usual David Milch kind of humor where, where it sort of wraps around for a while. And no, just a non sequitur. Think about what the sentence means. It's just this weird little dipshit man. And her hostility on her face just like throughout oh. that. It's, no one was around. She would kill him. I, I, I have to say about Rebecca De Mornay too. I was, I, I do remember when we first watched this, watched this, it seemed like she was like, she seemed very old to me and watching it now, she is our age. Yeah. She doesn't seem old. Yeah. Uh, she's like, oh, she's as old as my friend's moms. But yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's so far out of the realm of what she usually does. Like she had, especially right around there, she still was in sort of her groove of uh, like, <laughs> like the Futurama joke about Lucy Liu, where she's a icy dominatrix or erotic assassin. Yeah. That's, I mean, she was, Rebecca DeMorde was sort of the erotic thriller lady for the most part. Yeah. And her just get, and just playing this, this exhausted mom uh, is, I was, this is my shame and people are probably tired of me talking about, it, but I recently watched all nine American pie movies. Oh God. I'm sorry. I, I covered them on here. It was a, a grueling experience, but I somehow owned a box set of all nine and I can't figure out how that got in my house since I don't like the ones that I saw. I didn't realize there was nine. There's five direct to video spinoffs. Man. And uh, some of those are better than the theatrical movies, but they're still not good. <laughs> like they hew a little closer to what a softcore porn would be on The Simpsons. Okay. Like American Pie Presents Bandcamp is a movie that Homer Simpson would be able to watch. <laughs> a nerd builds a robot to builds a robot to spy on girls in the shower. It's it's so openly what it is, and it's like, all right, I'm charmed. <laughs> but uh. She shows up in the eighth overall and fourth theatrical movie, American Reunion. She's the guy who sleeps with Stifler's mom. She's his mom. Okay. And that comes out a couple years after, no, like five years after that. It comes out in 2012, which seems insane. Oh, my gosh. They were, there was an American Pie theatrical release in 2012. I had no idea. And she is back in her sexy older lady mode that is much more familiar uh, to her previous work, but it was jarring seeing that after watching this again and really getting into sort of her grimy portrayal. Yeah, yeah. She, she reset your uh, image of her. <laughs> yeah. Now she's smoking constantly and is really pissed off at you. They, this is one thing I kind of don't want to spoil because it's also upsetting to talk about. There is a reveal of... Basically, why she decided to be the hardest person in the world to deal with uh, because of something that happened when Butchie was a kid, and it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to give that away. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the way that happens is interesting because uh, as the series goes on, John starts to, I don't know if you want to call it astral projection or bilocation, 
but he starts to be in multiple places simultaneously. Yeah. Like there are scenes happening at the same time and he is with different groups of people. And when he's maybe projecting is the only time he talks using words he hasn't previously heard. I know it's so refreshing. (laughs) And, but like when he confronts Sissy, he is doing it in the cadence of a carpet commercial that he heard on the radio. Uh Uh-huh. Which is, given the content of it, is, is even more upsetting. But it's, it's, look, it's, I think episode five ends with a long scene where John is obliquely explaining what's happening while everybody is gathered together, even the ones who are in a different scene at the time. Uh, And as you pointed out, Butchie is there twice. Yeah, I had to freeze it and go back. I was like, did I just see two Butchies? Yes, indeed. There's also where they're sort of clustered together at the end of that scene, like they're taking a family portrait. There is, I think it's a still image, but there is a black and white person in the middle of the group. Mm-hmm. And the whole, it is, it's absolutely wild and seeing it. I mean, it was already a, a weird show before that happened, but I remember seeing that happen on television. That was the weirdest scene I had seen on TV up until that point in my life. Yeah, it's and I was excited to see it again, and it did not disappoint. Nope. And then Ed O'Neill's got that staircase that's in his apartment, but now it's out on the street with everybody, and he's climbing up it to nothing. There's no upstairs outside, you know? <laughs> and Ed O'Neill and Jim Beaver are there despite being sleeping in a van elsewhere. Yep, they're by locating too. And they wake up and are confused because they have a memory of it happening. Yeah, and his, his mouth, he feels like he's been playing his harmonica because he was. Yes. That's nuts. That whole that scene was just bizarre. I watched it a few times to see if there was any more clues I could like parse out any any sort of logic or strand of plot in there, but I couldn't really. But I was fascinated to see it a few times. Now, one thing I didn't do this time around is I didn't do a deep dive into like fan theories, and mostly because I wanted to talk about it with you clean. But I might I might hit up Reddit and see what the because when it first aired, that was when I first started writing about TV and I was writing insane blog posts about it that probably got me on a watch list. It was <laughs> uh, and I remember it was one of the few times I ever had any engagement online at that time. And I remember talking to a guy who was convinced that John was a sentient radio signal. Ah, I like that. And uh, but this time I was also very content to just sort of let it be like I wasn't necessarily trying to work out in my head what John could be. It's just like, yeah, he's John. Let's see what he's doing. Yeah, there's no way to really. Yeah. Yeah. But David Milch is also such a specific writer that I feel like he had a very clear idea of of what all of those, uh, you know, those phrases and maybe even what John's nature was, what some of these what these things actually meant. And I don't know that it was necessarily important for him to convey that, but I feel like knowing how he works, he must have had that figured out. Yeah, it seemed like he did. And I was, I got online, I was trying to find out if anyone had gotten out of John Milch, what, if there had been a second season, where it would have gone. And I could not find that for the life of me. There was an interview he did with, uh, who's that talk show host? He's Australian, pretty funny guy. He was on uh, Drew Carey's show. Oh, Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson. But it didn't really, there wasn't much revealed there. At the time, there was a, because he, he, uh, Milch created it with a guy named Kem Nunn, who's a novelist. 
who writes, uh, uh, they are mostly novels about surfing. Uh, and I, I read a couple, you know, 15 years ago when I couldn't get enough of this and they're, they're, they're fine. Uh, the surfing is, is not super interesting to me, but there's not really a trace of what this show is in there. Huh? And like nobody involved with it really has like, it doesn't seem to be in any of their wheelhouses. Like nobody else is really doing this abstract, uh, uh, Rorschach test, but I, uh, I guess my, my, when I brought that up, there was talk of a John from Cincinnati follow-up novel that never, uh, never materialized. And I don't know if that was anything more than an internet rumor because, you know, 2007 was pretty much pre-social media and it was much harder to vet crazy things that you heard. Yeah. Huh. I, uh, I wonder if there is any sort of you know, idea for a novel. Like I would just like to know like any sort of any detail about where it might head, you know, <laughs> or any, or yeah. if, I couldn't, I couldn't find, I tried looking up anything about a second season, but it's nothing. The, the end of the, of the finale is John sort of talking about things that are going to happen. And it's like, I, I think it was Dr. Smith goes to Cincinnati and comes back 20 years younger. Yeah. And when they say that they show some kid, because some, yeah. sometimes when they're talking about somebody, they show that somebody, but sometimes not. And so when they say that they showed a kid, I'm like, is that supposed to be him? Like right now? <laughs> like, what am I, how am I taking that? <laughs> like everything they said sounded like, yeah, I want to see that happen on TV. I know. So it sounded like, oh, that maybe this was their idea for the second season. And they're just trying to wrap it up. Because they found out that they're not getting a second season. Yeah, I don't know. Now, uh, uh, we're getting kind of close to wrap up, I think, because otherwise we're going to start really just detailing it too much and we'll sound like insane people. <laughs> it's too late for that. Other, other than, than Sean and, and Kai, mostly, who were not actually actors and most, for the most part went back to their professional surfing jobs, like pretty much everybody else from this still works a lot. Like I thought John kind of disappeared because I know he got, he got arrested for some, some, nothing bad. I think he was drunk and disorderly uh, either shortly after the show ended or while it was still airing. Yeah. Like just something small. And I'm like, I really haven't seen him. And uh, just recently I saw him on the, the HBO max show Minx. And I'm like, Oh great. He's working again. And then I checked his IMDb. Yeah. He's, he's done nothing but work. I know he was in that, he was in a sports movie that I had just seen and I didn't recognize <laughs> him in it. Uh, what is it? Glory road. I had watched it. That was in 2006. So it's not like, you know, yeah, but he's, he's hard to recognize out of character. Totally. And he was, in, he was in Deadwood too. He played, uh, what he, one of the herps Morgan, he didn't play Morgan Earp, but he's not doing his, uh, his John bit. Like I just, I can't spot him. Right. He was, uh, since then, I mean, just as big things, he did four seasons of One Tree Hill. <laughs> like that's, uh, and he directed on that show. He, you know, so one of those things is kind of off our radar, but it's still happening. And he was, he was a regular on Ray Donovan and did 30 episodes of The Walking Dead. Yeah, that one surprised me too. I was like, well, I mean, I saw the first season, but... Yeah, he's been working like constantly. Yeah, and and I never, I haven't spotted him. Even and apparently, 
I haven't even spotted him in things I've seen. The day after tomorrow, I didn't. I I watched that movie, and I still don't know who he was in that movie. <laughs> I think I only figured out it was him on Minx because I was looking up the cast, just because everybody sort of had that. They look kind of familiar, but I don't know who they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just to to put it in context, the main character on that show is the pink-skinned lady from Guardians of the Galaxy who tries to steal the gem from the collector and gets turned to a skeleton. Oh, yeah. And I recognize her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, Bruce Greenwood's been a, you know, he's been around forever. Uh, uh, Brian Van Holt, who plays Butchie, and uh, uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Uh, They've done a lot of comedy since then. Like, Garrett Dillahunt was on... Uh, raising hope for like six years. He, w- I've only seen a few episodes of that show, but that was hilarious. Like every time I watched that show, I was like, "This is a really good show for him." Yes, he is so funny on that, and it's so different from anything he did on any of his other, on any of his Milch projects. No, I wouldn't even have guessed he could be funny at all. And, and then he shows up in Looper as a time traveling assassin. It's like, yeah, more of this guy. This guy's hilarious. Um, so here's. Here's uh, kind of the, the last thing I want to cover when we, when we do this. I, I mean, the royal we. You don't have to do this every time. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, this 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 is a fantasy world where John from Cincinnati comes out in 2022. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not possible. Uh, David Milch, which really should mention, has has Alzheimer's and is uh, will probably never be able to write again. I know. It's so sad to hear. Yeah, and oh man, to watching the Deadwood finale movie with that knowledge, because so much of it is about memory and the past slipping away and like the way it handles flashbacks is really weird. And, uh, you know, my grandfather had really advanced Alzheimer's when he died. And there was just something about that movie that really, that really hit on an emotional chord. And when I, they announced uh, his diagnosis shortly after the movie aired and it all kind of made sense then. Yeah. Totally did. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously he is, he is sick and, uh, uh, both, uh, Luke Perry and, uh, Willie Garson who plays, uh, <laughs> attorney Dickstein, uh, which just feels like a dumb joke, but, uh, they have both passed away in recent years. I didn't know Willie Garson died. Yeah. Just like just recently, like he was in a couple episodes of the sex in the city reboot that aired last year. And then they had to write him out because he died before they were done filming. Oh, man. So, you know, obviously you can't actually make John from Cincinnati today, but fantasy world where that happens. Yeah. Do you think it's successful now? I think it would get a second season. I don't know if it would be totally successful. I think other, other stuff has come out since then that's pretty weird because probably informed by it. But it's still sort of a little inaccessible for, I think the regular viewer, <laughs> but they, the regular viewer has up, you know, with black mirror and stuff. The ante has been raised a bit. Yeah. I don't know if I use that phrase, right? Probably not. But uh, I think that it would have a better shot than it did back then. There's been more weird stuff since then. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think this got boned by a couple of other shows. First off following the Sopranos finale was a suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah. First off, everybody watched that Sopranos finale, even people who didn't watch The Sopranos. So it's not going to retain the audience of people who are not used to watching HBO anyway. (laughs) This will kill you. I'd never seen the finale. 
Really? I think I, I think I've seen every episode except the finale, but I've heard so much about it that I felt like I had seen it. But yeah, no, <laughs> I've never actually seen the finale. Man, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so you're you're the you're the converse of the hypothetical person there, but yeah. And this is sort of a this is sort of a meaty watch. It's not. You want to head into a curb your enthusiasm after the Sopranos finale. Yeah, you don't want to be trying to use your brain and stuff. <laughs> you got to relax. This they measured against that metric, which is like, yeah, we set a viewership record, and then we put a weird ass show that demands your full attention on after it. And also, everybody was mad. <laughs> the Sopranos people were mad when the Sopranos ended. Everybody thought their HBO went out at the abrupt ending, and I don't think that put them in the mood to to watch a whole nother show. Uh, especially one that immediately starts with a, a floating man. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I, I can't do this right now. I'm still dealing with that, that blackout. Right. You know? <laughs> but the other thing, 2007 was uh, smack in the middle of Lost. And it was, in fact, just before they had worked out a deal with ABC to actually set an end date that they could work toward. Mm-hmm. And it was when they were in sort of their wheel spinning well, we can't solve anything because we don't know how long we're going to be on the air phase. And people were getting frustrated with that. And I think this, which is honestly inherently unsolvable, I think, uh, was another thing. Oh, another thing where they don't know what it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> another thing where they don't know what it is. The, the, cause every, people were watching everything like Lost those days. Like everything was a clue that was leading to something and you'd be able to put it together. And, uh, have you heard about the show Severance? No. Okay, it's, it's on Apple TV. It's, it stars Adam Scott and also John Turturro and Christopher Walken, and it's absolutely wild cast. The premise is... I like that you said Adam Scott first. <laughs> well, he's, he's the lead. It's the Adam Scott show. Yeah. But oh, okay. yeah, I, I really oversold him as opposed to, hey, Christopher Walken is doing a TV show. Um. And, and it works as sort of this, this uh, really sterile office building, but the premise is people who work there have their brain sectioned off. So they have a section of their brain for when they're at work and when they leave work. And those two, those two versions of yourself never reconcile. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's how I wish I could work. Yeah. But it's a great show, and I'm watching it the whole time just... And I'm watching it as like, oh, this is just like an exploration of how weird that world would be. And then like three episodes before the end, things start to come together and you're like, oh, we're supposed to be putting together clues. I had no idea. You were just letting it wash over you. Yeah. And I think now you can really sell a show on vibes that doesn't necessarily have to have a clear answer that can be explained as long as you enjoy the journey. Yeah. And Let's be honest, streaming has opened up some weird stuff that gets to live longer than you would think it would. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, in a world where Doom Patrol just finished shooting season four, there's two seasons of John from Cincinnati. I mean, not, not, no question. Yeah, you just keep shooting and no one would say anything. And also doesn't, other than the cast, uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's going to cost anything. It's just people walking around, you know? Yeah, I mean... Their main set is the shittiest motel ever built, which they probably just bought outright for, uh, you know, $50,000. Yeah, it's like, we'll just have this. That'll be our, uh, <laughs> our budget. Yeah, and it seemed like the cast probably was enjoying themselves because it was probably the weirdest, most 
interesting thing they had done. Yeah, it seems like it was, it was, it seems like they're having fun. Uh, man, there's two things I should have mentioned during the actual discussion, but I'm still learning the format. Please bear with me. Yeah. I say that mostly to the listener. You're used to how I talk. <laughs> uh, one, th- one thing that always gets me when I watch TV or movies that like is the quickest way to get me to choke up uh, yeah. besides somebody acknowledging how important Batman is, um, is like a sense of community when you're not expecting it. Yeah. Like, uh, like Rise of Skywalker, which is, let's, let's, let's call it a flawed movie. Uh, but also it has Babu Frick in it, so it's also a perfect movie. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah. That, I mean, I try not to talk about Star Wars too much unless Summer's the guest because I feel like white men talking about Star Wars on podcasts is a little played out. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> but, uh... Uh, Last Skywalker is kind of a mess, but it's very fun to watch. Yeah. And like, I remember when I saw it with an audience on opening day, it was all the nerds who were mad that it wasn't their thing. But then I saw it later with your sister. That's right. I went to a movie with Sam's sister, guys. What the hell, dude? I'm going to waste you. Yeah. It took me three years to tell you. Uh, <laughs> and it's more like people who waited a couple weeks to see it. They were having a great time. But uh, the thing that gets me is when they're facing all the, like the massive star destroyers and then like all these ships, just, just people showing up to help. And that always gets me like, I guess a better example for adults would be Dunkirk or, or that doctor who episode where he's enslaved by the master and everybody in the world has to think about him at the same time. Yeah. And I love that. That's the stuff that makes me cry. I just love the sense of community. And this show is very much about that. I mean, like I said, the gangsters are helping clean the pool at the end. Yeah, that's awesome. It is, it is mostly a hangout with occasional complicating factors. Yeah. Uh, oh, go on. As I say, the doctor just gets drawn in. He's like, I'm, this is my community now because this yep. is the most interesting thing happening on Earth. So I'm with these people. It's all stick together like cold rice. <laughs> Freddy doesn't want to be part of that world, but he's there. He has no choice. Uh, just historically, I, we did t- how everybody pretty much works, but David Milch only did one show after this. Uh, he did the horse racing drama Luck, mm-hmm. which had a very good first season and then was canceled during production of the second season because too many horses died. Oh, God. And, like, it looked bad, but also, if you get, ho- especially horses that can pass as racehorses for television. Yeah. They are horses that are now too old to be racehorses. Right. So you're not getting, you're getting horses that have washed out of their field. And they're, I mean, not that I mean to suggest they're putting them under too much stress. They probably had something wrong with them. Yeah. Like the show he did before this was Deadwood. Famously a horse heavy show. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, and obviously when, you know, once about seven horses die, it's very hard to, uh, continue with that but after that the only thing he 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 wrote one episode of true detective oh every episode was written by the creator of the show and then he just shows up to write one episode in the middle of season two was it a good episode i remember it being good that was the season people didn't like but that was kind of the standout yeah but it was also weird like why is this his it's like the second episode if he decides he wants to write an episode of something he can you let him He's John Milch. He's going to write an episode of Will and Grace now. He shows up with a script for Harley Quinn. You go, all right, uh, it's all yours. Oh, I will say one thing about, I think he didn't know about, in my experience with drug use, 
I've never heard the phrase getting loaded on acid other than in John from Cincinnati. And also <laughs> the behavior that these characters exhibit when loaded on acid <laughs> isn't, it would be pretty unusual for someone who's loaded on acid. The sort of the more acid you do, the less you can even like stand up, you know, like, and you're, you're not like behaving crazy. You're sort of yourself, except you're sillier and smarter. You're sort of like a smart, sort of like a smart five-year-old version of yourself. And so he probably would have, for the behavior that was exhibited during this uh, discussion in John from Cincinnati, I'd probably, probably meth or crack would have been the thing to go to, but I think he wanted to, them to be hippies. And so he's like acid, let's just have them be acid addicts, which isn't really a thing. But, and they only mentioned it once. So I think somebody told them. And so they never brought it up again. <laughs> they never brought up the phrase loaded on acid ever again after that one time. <laughs> Even with my uh, uh, only secondhand experience, there definitely is a thing when you can tell like, oh, this is not somebody who's ever done that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I did not know that was unusual terminology, but I've also never heard it. So, yeah, they, I don't think you're going to hear that phrase outside of that episode. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it's not, yeah, it's, it was the wrong pick. I think he just wanted him to be hippies and he knew hippies did acid. <sighs> and then probably one of his writers, like, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> that seems weird. <laughs> Yeah, it is pretty weird considering how much NYPD blue he wrote that he didn't have some street slang in place, but yeah. Yeah, I know. He, she famously, he sort of made up a lot of, of, uh, uh, cop lingo, but it sounded authentic because Dennis Franz was saying it. Yeah. Dennis Franz and him are a good match. So I, I think we agree. People should definitely watch John from Cincinnati. Oh my gosh. Just so captivating from like the, like you said, like the first second, he's like, he's in the air before the first credits. And it never, it never really lets up, like, as far as bizarre things happening, and it sucks you forward the whole time. You're either going to see something weird or brilliant acting or often both at the same time. Yep, at all at once, and you watch Ed O'Neill just go through every emotion and every type of thing with his character. I love when uh, Charlie Utter is... Or Charlie Utter. What's the, act <laughs> the actor's name? Yeah, Freddy. Yeah, Freddy's like, yeah, I've, I've seen shapeshifters before. And Ed O'Neill yeah, looks great. at him and goes, you don't know what the fuck he is. <laughs> you don't that's know. right. He does call John out as a shapeshifter, even though we don't see that happen. I know. He sees him different. Yeah, because of an experience he had in a volcano. Yeah, that, I want to see that spinoff. Yeah, he saw <laughs> some god in a volcano or something, and he's relating this to that. And maybe it is related. I don't know. <laughs> It's amazing. We've talked about it for an hour and only just got out. Now got to. Oh yeah, there's a guy who had met a god in a volcano, and he's a he's a violent drug dealer. So it's like, yeah, stuff like this. This is why you should see John from Cincinnati. Is that there's endless amount of these kind of details that there could be a million spinoffs of the show. Really, like every almost every episode, you could spin off into a whole different world. There's so many. You could you could have done a show about the weird. However, attorney Dickstein's law practice worked. <laughs> he was mostly, he was clearly letting all of his other work go just because he was so interested in this drama. Yeah. Uh, the, the Barry who bought the motel because he had been abused there as a child and planned to tear it. That guy. Oh my God. And the goat, his ghosts that he sees and hears are just so scary and rotten. And, oh. oh my God. 
And that's like, you didn't explore that all the way. We just sort of know like what you said, like he had a dark past with this building and he buys it and he's going to, he's going to blow it up. But then he gets sucked into the, into the community of uh, yeah. the Yosts and John and yeah, he, everyone comes together somehow in the weirdest way. So yeah. If you do, if you want to watch it, it's on HBO max. If you don't, if you don't have that, you can get the series on DVD, 10 episodes for, you can usually get it for $10 now because partly because DVDs are cheap. Um, Probably on the wall at Goodwill. Probably. I went through a phase once this started getting real cheap before it was streaming when I would just pick up DVD sets so I had them to give to people. And I don't know that anybody ever watched it. I think you have my original DVD set. Yeah, I think I do. Because uh, you borrowed it so often, it just made more sense to stay with you. <laughs> uh, so we, we agree that John from Cincinnati is great and you should watch it. Uh, and now if you'll indulge me for a second, I do have to talk about another thing that's great and you should spend money on, which is my sponsor, Sam. Yeah. You're, you're aware of, of teasebysummer.com, right? Oh, of course. I have a torso. I am aware of that. That's right. And you've got a shirt, you've got a shirt from that store on its way to you right now. I can sense it and I'm excited. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, they're, they're great t-shirts. Uh, many of them based on, on, I think you should leave, which, uh, Oh my God. I love that show. Yes. Uh, that is my favorite sketch. I didn't know that they had, she had t-shirts based on, I think you should leave. Can, can I, Oh man. Can I tell you, uh, this has maybe come up on the podcast before, but I'm getting all, I'm getting new listeners from the Sam bump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she has one that's, that's a blueprint of the car from the from the focus group sketch. Um, oh no! You know, and it indicates uh, where there's no room for the mother-in-law, and uh, it's labeled too small and stinky, and you know, and it looks like a like an actual car blueprint. It's really it's really good. The guy from that sketch, uh, uh, Ruben Rabasa, is his name. Doesn't seem like an actor at all, really. Not at all. What a weird guy. He saw this and he posted it on his Instagram and said, this is a good idea. No way. Yes. That's awesome. That, that, that sketch is so funny, man. The actual guy approved of it. Yeah. You can get those on mugs and t-shirts. Uh, it's also got uh, the logo from my website, the ape hive, which is a much better logo than I deserve. <laughs> uh, Maybe if we start getting listeners to this show, uh, maybe we'll do the Fed Talks logo, which she also designed. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, which is part of a, a bigger logo for an upcoming podcast project. I love that logo. That's a really good logo, by the way. Oh, I'll, I'll pass that on. It's, I, yeah, I love it. Uh, I should show you the full version, uh, which I probably have somewhere, but obviously I can't do that right now uh, because we're in different rooms, guys. <laughs> That's how recording works. Uh, and the... Uh, I mentioned previously uh, my my upcoming scripted series is a, a town called Science, which I am I, I have to finish writing uh, for two reasons. Two of the most talented people I know, uh, Mr. Sam Kenny and uh, uh, Miss Tease by Summer. Uh, that's what we call her on the show in, when she's a sponsor. <laughs> when she's talking about Star Wars, she uses her actual name. Uh, uh, Sam and Sam and Emma made this amazing theme song. That is, he asked me what my favorite theme song, TV theme songs were, and then ran with that. Uh, not as in he did his take on those, but in terms of what I like to hear in a, because I don't know enough about music to use correct words. 
And uh, then Summer did this, this logo for it that is so good. You've seen that. It's been on my phone for like two years. Yeah. Uh, and so I am very excited for these two uh, uh, to put to work these very talented people. We prefer to be called powerhouses. Power, industry powerhouses. There we go. Yeah. Uh, including Emma, who has not been on the show, but she should be on the show at some point too. Uh, if you ever do an I think you should leave, she should be, I think she's seen it more than any other human. <laughs> I watch it a lot, but she she watched it even more than I did. Like I've seen every episode, like probably no, no, ten or fifteen times. She's easily seen every episode thirty, forty times. Oh, that's great! Yeah, and now you know where to get her a birthday or Christmas present. I do, and I'm gonna. <laughs> Sweet. So that is uh, teasedbysupper.com. Check check it out. They just always great, really well designed, really funny, just just the best. You know who else is the best? Sam Kenny. This guy's been friends with me for 20 years, which to anybody who's known me less than 20 years seems impossible. <laughs> uh, we were, we did it. We had an improv team. Uh, most of it was a two man improv group. Sometimes it was a up to four people with other members of Sam's family. But uh, we used to, we would do shows sometime and, we did a sketch show. We did it for a month at this theater. We did it every Monday. It was good. I liked that sketch show. It I... was a good sketch show. But I remember there's this guy who came to every performance of it, and then he joined our improv group for about three weeks. <laughs> and it was the second week of doing improv with us when I said something, and he replied with, oh, I didn't know you were funny too. Oh, oh yeah, Scott Erickson. Yes. Who kind of looks like John from Cincinnati. He kind of does. So uh, if you've ever enjoyed anything I did, I've done, keep in mind, uh, Sam, if, if I do it next to Sam, he outshines me so much that it takes a person six weeks to recognize that I'm doing anything. <laughs> um, and you are also uh, a musician, uh, both with your brother and with Emma. You've got, so you've got a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, do you have anything you specifically want to promote or send people to? Uh, you can send them to my SoundCloud. Uh, and I'll give you the link. I can't, it's SoundCloud Sam Kenny. I think there's like one other Sam Kenny, but you'll find mine. I've been putting up like, I've been doing like <laughs> these little electronic dance music tracks because it's easy to, I'm practicing mixing, right? And mm -hmm. I don't have to set up microphones and stuff. Like I can do it all in the box, as they say in the computer. So I can practice mixing and put together like whole songs. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm starting to kind of like these. So I've put, I'm putting them out on my SoundCloud. So you can go check them out. Oh man. Okay. I will put a, I will put a link to that in the episode description. So, uh, you can follow that. I like Sam's music a lot. Uh, he did a, he's put out a, there's a couple, you have at least two solo CDs. Yes. I have two solo albums. Yep. And two with Billy, I think. Or is it? One? No. Yeah. The, two. Yeah. It's two. That's right. Dirty Turkey lore. It, it was released eventually. Yep. Yeah. They're, they are, they're very good. Uh, he do, does stuff with Emma now, who, again, will be, have to be a guest at some point. Uh, um, and and she, she's, a, she's a delight. Tell her I said hi. What? I tell her I said hi. Oh, I will. I will indeed. Here, I'll tell you the topics. She's also seen uh, to the Toy Story movies more than any, like When she decides she's watching something, she, she goes all in, like how we were with the few, first few seasons of The Simpsons. <laughs> she's like that with the Toy Story movies. This Chip and Daryl Rescue Rangers movie that just came out, or just came out, probably like last year. I don't know when it came out. 
No, it's just a couple months. It's outstanding. Have you seen it? <laughs> I have not watched it yet. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Anyway, yeah. So there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that uh, you'd uh, you guys would cross over on. I think you should leave. Is also another one. Man, I love that show. Oh, here's a story with Emma and Tim Robinson. He's maybe this is cut for time, but uh, her birthday, like her 21st birthday, we went to Second City in Chicago, the ETC stage, and it was a really, really good show. And then uh, it was her 21st birthday, so we went out to the bar right across the street from Second City. Right, mm-hmm. we're gonna drink, so we start drinking, getting drunk for her birthday. And uh, the cast from the ETC stage comes in and they sit in there in a booth and they start talking about stuff in there over there. And so uh, Emma waited for a lull in the conversation and she bought them all a round of shots. And who was in that cast? Tim Robinson. And the following year, he was on Saturday Night Live. Wow. And then years later, I Think You Should Leave comes out and it's our favorite sketch show that's ever happened. And she bought a shot for Tim Robinson on her 21st birthday. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah, isn't that pretty good? Oh, okay. That's you. You know what? That is a good note to end on. Uh, thank you so much for breaking in this new format uh, and letting me talk about my favorite one season show. Um, and obviously, you are welcome back anytime. Uh, I can't think of anybody else who will do Happy or The Tick with me. So, oh yeah, yep. I I have you penciled in next to those on the master list. So uh, anyway, thank thank you so much. Check out Sam's stuff. Uh, you can email. You can email the show at fedtalks at yahoo.com. Uh, that's right. I couldn't get the Gmail <laughs> because the wrestling people also had a, a podcast called Fed Talks. Oh, yep. Uh, and also the Federal Reserve did. So <laughs> uh, I should have looked into that. But uh, especially if you have an, a, a suggestion for a show or somebody who might be a good guest, because I will run out of friends eventually which is to say after no more than four episodes. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram at EJ underscore Fettus. I might post some John from Cincinnati stuff. Uh, Twitter at EJ Fettus. Uh, check out the APIVE. I might, I might try to write something to tie into this episode where I'll get more granular on John from Cincinnati or David Milch's career or something. Uh, I don't know exactly when this will come out, but you'll find out. We'll start a whole community about John from Cincinnati and John Milch, and EJ will cry, and then we'll all get together and get loaded on acid. (laughs) That's all I got. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Bye.